Good morning, and the conversation continues as we ease on into Mother's Day 2018, a WIP Sunday where we celebrate Mom in all her glory, whether you have her or whether she's gone. Remember her, love her, tell her hello. And to continue our celebration of extraordinary mothers, and every mother is extraordinary, but I think these are extraordinary. I'm pleased to welcome here Eliza Factor. Eliza is the author, author of a new book, Strange Beauty, a Portrait of My Son. Good morning, Eliza Factor. Uh, good morning. Eliza, tell me about your son. Uh, my son, uh, he is the oldest of my children. He is uh, 15 now. He is at the moment with his father in New Hampshire at this wonderful um, residential school called Crotchet Mountain that um, has provided him this incredible uh, environment that's really let him grow um, when he was born, he was a September 11th baby, I should say. I was very um, ambivalent is, is a kind word towards the idea of becoming a mother way back then. Um, but, the, but Jason, uh, my husband, um, worked down by the World Trade Center, and uh, it wasn't clear that he was going to come back that day, and I realized how much I loved him and how much I, 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 I didn't want him to die without having had a child. And so, um, so when he came back, I said, okay, we're doing this. And, um, and then we, we, we had this wonderful boy named Felix. Um, but he, uh, I had the chicken pox when I was pregnant with him. And so it, it affected his brain and, um, he he's, he's, has all kinds of diagnoses based on that brain damage. He has uh, autism and um, pretty severe cerebral palsy and a bunch of other stuff. And so I, you know, any any anyone who has a child with all of these things that have are really screwed up with his body um, goes through. You know, it's just it's just you know terrified and worried and, and, and crushed. Um, and so I, I wanted to write a book about that kind of process of, from going from that state of, oh, you know, of, it's such a complicated state, one word doesn't really explain it, to, to being able to, um, to see all that my son had and, um, and to let that guide us as a family. And it was, you know, it was a really transforming experience. You get pregnant, you hope, you plan, you plot, you figure it out, you start buying a few things, you tell family, you tell friends, and then the baby's born. Mm-hmm. How, how long after Felix was born did you start to see trouble? Um, I didn't. My, my husband is a little bit more cognizant of things like the importance of books and timetables and stuff. So he was kind of like, mm, Felix is pretty floppy. And I was like, well, all babies developed differently you know he's beautiful and he was he was a, he was an absolutely gorgeous baby we had little strands of red hair and green eyes and a, a big smile and um and he didn't look physically disabled or anything and um and he could move i mean he was he was floppy he wasn't paralyzed i had always thought of paralysis as being stiff but um but 
this is a different sort of paralysis, which is floppy. Um, anyway, by four months, he still couldn't move his head really or sit up. And uh, I mean, he, he couldn't move it on his own. And so uh, our, do and our doctor said, well, we should, we should start seeing why this is happening because it doesn't seem to be getting, you know, it doesn't seem to be resolving itself. Um, and so it, there was a lot of doctors and a lot of specialists, a lot of tests and a lot of schlepping um, and a lot of worry. But a, a little bit after he turned a year, we had an MRI of his brain and saw that he had lost this white matter in his brain. Um, and so we knew why he was developing differently. We just didn't know how he would develop. Like the, the neurologist told me, well, you know, he's going to be disabled throughout his life. And I said, well, what does that mean? Will he be able to walk? Will he be able to talk? I mean, what does disabled mean? And um, the neurologist said, well, we don't know because every brain is different. We just know that given the damage to his white matter, he, he won't be able he, – he can't perform like you or I. He'll perform differently. And um, so there was – so the, his whole life has been this. Like we, there's, we don't have an image of what he can be, which in some ways is really liberating because you just kind of go where, where it seems right, where he seems to want to go. And he teaches you things. What has he taught you? Oh, so much. That's, I mean, that's why I wrote this book. One of the, one of the, well, I guess that because this is a sport, I was listening to the sports um, news on your station, and I was like, oh, gosh, a sports never spoken with a sports radio station. Some of the stuff is just like physical endurance. Like I had no idea what we could do <laughs> physically. <laughs> Jason and I, Jason, my husband, and I used to call, um, you know, parenting Felix extreme parenting, like extreme sports, because mm -hmm. there's just like the amount of physical uh, and uh kind of psychic uh, kind of you're, you're pushed so hard I guess mm -hmm. is what I'm saying because cause there's there's not enough sleep like you know he you know, kids like a lot of kids like and a lot of kids on the autism spectrum really can't sleep very well um, and so you know that means the whole family doesn't sleep very well so you know we, we spent like the, the 10 years that he was living with us I don't think, I mean, like, if we got more than four hours of sleep, it was considered a great night. Um, but, but most of the time, you know, I think it, on average it was three to four hours of sleep. And and there were nights, you know, where Jason, I, I always have to have one or two or else I just, I mean, I, I, my body just shuts down. But Jason would, you know, wouldn't get any, and then he'd go in and work for 12 hours and come home. And then, you know, you, there's just never a rest because when you come home, there's, there's this family of yours. Um, and we had two younger children also. So it was like there's that kind of just endurance training. Um, and then, and then it, because of his physical – well, also because then when, it, when he was later, late, when he was older, he started getting these terrible um, 
fits that were very, very, very violent, and he would be trying to um, really hurt himself. And the, the only way to stop it was to wrestle him. And so Jason and I both met doing martial arts, so we had some – I mean, Jason particularly was like a double black belt. I was just a brown belt. But we both had some experience in, you know, breathing and restraining um, – but there was just lots of it. I mean, you know, it would go on for days and days for like you know blocks at a time, and so there was a, there was that physical thing. When I haven't don't usually speak about the physical toll, but but it is athletic. I mean, it's just like you really have to be careful of yourself, and and you you really have to be breathing. You really have to be focused in order to do it right, not cause harm. Um, but the the book. It really is about a lot of the sweeter things that Felix taught me. Um, I think the one I hadn't been expecting, or as many, um, partly a big a big part was language, because I'm a writer and I I, I love language and and language has always been the way that I've connected with people. I've usually fallen in love with people through having a great conversation with them. My friends and I love to, you know, have have deep conversations and um and having a child who didn't use language as a medium for communication um you know at first just seemed inconceivable and and particularly because he was had physical disabilities I was so like worried that he would be bored like what do you do if you can't move independently and you can't like enter the world of history or philosophy or physics or you know whatever whatever kind of intellectual pursuit excites you what what do you do um but the thing is that felix wasn't bored he was fascinated by the world around him. Um, and he, he, it wasn't like he can't move at all. He can move with a walker. He can move. He can, he's very expressive, and he can get what he wants. And what he usually wants is to be outdoors. And watching him outdoors, particularly in nature, is amazing because he's so receptive to the wind and the motion of trees and just the the feeling of the sun on your skin. I mean, just like all of this, these incredible elements that we're surrounded with all the time that like if we have our mind on our thoughts or what we have to do next, we can just like walk down the street without, you know, smelling the flowers. <laughs> it's, all, it's all cliche, but, um, but Felix smells those flowers. And, um, and he also just is really good at communicating with people Without language, um, I mean, he knows he will, will, you know, kind of be surrounded by people, and it will seem like he doesn't see any of them. It will seem completely ineffective, and then he'll kind of reach his hand out towards one, and whoever it is is always like the best person. Like you've, you know, you'll, you'll meet this person, and they'll be like an amazing person. Like he's, he's basically dragged incredibly great people into our lives just by being like, Hmm, that's a good one. <laughs> he has and, an intuition. Yeah. He has a very, I mean, his intuition is unmarred by, like, I think we're all born with a, with, with quite a bit of intuition. 
and it gets kind of chipped away at and, and repressed in many ways because it doesn't go with our manners and our way of organizing knowledge. But his is just like there, you know. It's just like it's and and so it's really fun to to see what it can do. All right, Eliza. After you had Felix, your husband and you made the decision to have more children. Yeah. How did you find, I only know when to say the word courage, the courage to play the baby lottery twice more? <laughs> well, I have to say that part of it had to do with my wonderful pediatrician, Edna Pitlack. The day that um, we got the MRI results about Felix's brain damage, I was obviously devastated. Like I had still been hoping maybe this is just a blip. Maybe, you know, he'll get over this. And um, and so here was this kind of medical proof that he this was really happening and this was going to be his life. So I went to the, the doctors, the Edna Pilex, the pediatricians, the next day for some something else. But you know, and as I said, oh, did you? I went to the neurologist. I talked to the neurologist yesterday. I found out, and she she said, I know. He sent me, you know, the results. That's great news. I I was like, what? How is, like, I mean, I understood in one way because he could have had a condition that would have, um, you know, that would have been, meant that he would die early, and that would have been much worse news. But, but, um, you know, lifelong brain damage didn't seem to me like good news. And, uh, but she, she said, it's not genetic. You can have another baby. And I... I was just laughing because that was the last thing on my mind and that was so unprofessional of her to say. But it was also really sweet and motherly of her to say. And and actually, though, because of her knowledge of families, it was a smart thing. And our family, I mean, we could afford to have another child. It, would, it wouldn't, like, you know, it was it was something we could do. Um, it, was a, it was a great thing, seed the plant in my head right then because... I think the rest of my family, our fam, both of our families, none of us had dealt with severe disability before, and so like I think Felix's plight kind of scared a lot of members of our family. Not not in a bad way, but just like they wouldn't have said that you should have other kids because they'd be like, I don't know, how can they handle it? But she knew from having other families with kids with disabilities, of course we could handle it, and that it would be fun and it would make life lighter and bigger and and Felix would be happier. I mean that was the way she framed it. She, she said that she'd seen in her practice just lots of different kinds of families and the the ones that were bigger that had a kid with disabilities just seemed to to work better because it wasn't all about the one kid with a disability. You had to you had to be a you know just it, it was nicer for the kid. I mean like you don't want that kind of feeling of everybody's concern always being about you all the time. It's, mm-hmm. it's too much. You want concern. <laughs> you definitely want to be, to be recognized, but you don't want too much. And, and so with other kids, it's easier to keep that balance. And you're listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Eliza Factor. She writes of her firstborn child, Strange Beauty, a portrait of my son, a story about a child born with multiple disabilities. My name's Peter Solomon. Eliza, you were financially able 
I'm sorry. I, I just got cut off for a second. You were financially able to have Felix and to have two more children. Yeah. Because, I mean, those doctors cost a lot of money, even with good health insurance. Uh, yeah. I mean, the book is very there, – there's no way I could have done what I particularly did. I mean, the book is also about starting a nonprofit um, that brings together families with disabilities. So, I mean, a lot of what I've been able to do with Felix has to do with my husband's job, which is – he just has, he's a lawyer, um, like he's a corporate lawyer. He has very good uh, health insurance. And, but I should say, even his very good health insurance wasn't very good. And we had, we had, we got Felix on um, Medicaid health insurance too, which you do if you have that level of disabilities, because the private ones kick you off no matter how much money, you know, it doesn't matter. (laughs) They they, they find ways not to pay for what they're supposed to do. Um, And, uh, so, so yes, I mean, we were incredibly lucky and this is, you know, I, I don't think of our family as unlucky at all. Um, and I mean, I, I mean, I wish for Felix's sake that he could move and, um, talk cause it would make life in this world easier, but he's, he's, a, he's happy. And I mean, he also, uh, has just done incredible things with the mind and body he has. I mean, he has so many friends. Uh, he is so loved, and he's changed so many people's lives. Um, and that, what he's done, hasn't been a factor of my husband's money so much. A lot of that has been public programs, um, and it's just been people on the ground, people volunteering, people helping. You know, it, it's I, I meet so many families who have kids with disabilities through our nonprofit, and when and when I started the nonprofit, I was really thinking about families that didn't have any money because before I married Jason, you know, I I didn't ha- I was a waitress for a dozen years, and the idea of having Felix on that salary, I kept on going, I'm like, I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this, I wouldn't be able to do that. So I wanted to have a place that was free where people could just have really great art and movement programs and come together. And, like, so I could provide stuff that didn't cost that much because where would we get the funding? But that would be really in, enriching and fun for families and and, and wouldn't be financially draining. Um, but it, it's interesting because, well, I mean, it's it's interesting meeting these different families from different classes, and I've met so many mothers who, like, you know, are living in the projects and have kids with severe autism and stuff, and they're doing such an incredible job, and they love their kids so much, and they're finding places like our nonprofit. Um, They definitely have a much harder time with the health system and the educational system, and if they're black, they often have a hard time even getting the proper diagnoses because there's just like this like inherent bias that like black kids have ADHD or behavioral uh, disabilities and so they get put down one little tunnel and middle class, I should say, it's it's more like upper middle class, middle class kids. 
get put in the autism thing where you get more um, social services. And so there's just like, you know, we try to help make sure that kids who have autism are on the autism spectrum, no matter where they come from, get those services. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of inequalities with the money, but, but I guess what I was trying to say is some of these mothers that have so little financially are doing such a great job and their kids are doing wonderfully because of them. And I meet uh, quite a few mothers with much more money that aren't really helping their kids with their money. I mean, they're like, they're, they're stuffing them into all kinds of programs aimed at helping them, but it's like all with this, um, this kind of like, fix my kid, fix my kid, fix my kid kind of mentality. And, and that's not good for the kids. So it's just, it's been interesting seeing seeing like such a big, huge group of mothers and realizing, you know what, if I hadn't been married to Jason, we would have had a completely different path, but I think we would have still found, we still would have found a way. Um, that said, we can't be cutting it out. I mean, like we need the government programs and, the, and those are in, you know, as you know, they're being cut back. So, I mean, the government programs are essential and they, they need to stay and they need to be enlarged um, just to, to help families um, like ours. Eliza Factor, author of Strange Beauty, A Portrait of My Son. We'll be back after these messages. Please stay with me. The WIP Times 722. And we're back. It's WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Eliza Factor, an extraordinary mother, an extraordinary woman. Her new book, <laughs> Strange Beauty, A Portrait of My Son. Eliza, you, you chuckled when I said extraordinary woman. Why, do, why don't you think that's true? Oh, well, I mean, I guess I think everyone's extraordinary in the toys. And thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> I'm sure you're extraordinary also. <laughs> All right. But I, I, I think it's women and mothers are even more extraordinary than most. But that's, we can have that discussion later. Um, all right. The girls, your two daughters, mm-hmm. how do they feel about Felix? Well, you know, feelings are... How do you feel about your uh, siblings? That's a complicated question. Um, but I think uh, at, at this point, I'd say that both of them are quite proud of him. Um, whenever they have to do culture shares at school where they talk about their family's culture, and their culture is always Felix. <laughs> So we're looking at the world of disability that um, we all belong to because of him. Um, but I will say one of the things that surprised me when when they were young, I had I had foreseen how they might be jealous of the attention that Felix gets um, and, and had tried my hardest to always have a friends or um, au pairs or babysitters, you know, somebody else in the house with me um, when Jason was in work because, so that, well, because we had three and, you know, one would be a baby and one was a toddler and one was Felix, so that there'd be enough hands on board, but also so that I could give the girls some one-on-one mothering and not always be kind of just checking over my shoulder to make sure they were okay while I helped Felix with things. Um, so I did try to give them, you know, alone time, or at least, you know, I would give them their bath and do their bedtime story together, and they'd have this, uh, this, this moment of, of having a, a typical um, childhood. Um, 
but so I so I, I so I'd understood that they might be be jealous of the, the extra attention that Felix just got um, just because of his, all everything he needed, but I hadn't realized that they might be jealous of him for being disabled. When when Happy was, I think she was three or four, and she had to get dressed to go to preschool. And she, you know, it's it's quite hard to learn how to get dressed. I mean, if any young parents out there are like struggling with their kids who don't want to wear underpants and stuff, it's like it's like it's uncomfortable and it's and just the coordination of like putting your shirt on over your head and then buttons on top of everything else. I mean, it's just like, ah, why do I have to do this? And she was always just like ripping off her clothes and and proclaiming the whole thing stupid. And um. But she had to. She had to get. She had to dress herself and and go to school. That was her duty. And she was uh, was talking to her older sister Miranda at the table one day. I wasn't. I was doing something else. I wasn't really part of their conversation. And she just said, oh, "I wish I was disabled." And um, and Miranda, who was two years older, said, "I used to think the same thing, but you won't as you get older." <laughs> I was like, "Wow." Um, yeah, so I mean, I think just the, the and and ha- I think they're both very happy now that they're that they, they have the independence. But it, it was it was an interesting um, thought that like from a kid's point of view, like a little kid's point of view, how wonderful just to be taken care of and all the time and and not have to um, to learn all of these really difficult things. But I mean, I tried to explain to her that Felix is learning. I mean, he was going to therapy. He was, he was really was learning. It just took him longer, and it was very painful for him too. Um, and I, th- I think they understand that now. It's good to hear. Yeah, um, yeah. I know plenty of adults who want to be taken care of too. So <laughs> I know. I, 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 well, I mean, I think Felix would. I think one of the reasons that Felix is happier at his school. I mean, there's tons of reasons, but one of them is just that. The care is a little bit less personal, you know, when it's your parents who are, like, wiping your butt when you're 11. That's – I think that would be hard. And, you know, if, if it's more – I mean, like, his aides and stuff are great and they're friendly with Felix and he has really close relationships with them, but they're not parents. And uh, and so they, he does have just more independence in that way, and I think he really treasures that. Now, Felix is a live-away school now? He's in a wonderful school in New Hampshire, yeah. What happens when he gets a certain age and graduates? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I the plan had been to bring him back home, but um but he's so much happier up there and I think it's really nice for him to be with other people who are as disabled as he is. I mean, he he's got like he just they they've got a real he has a bond with all of these other kids. And so I, I, I will try to figure out some kind of group living situation where he's living with other adults with disabilities, um, you know, near us, so that we can, you know, see him on the week, you know, like so that he's part of our lives. But I, I think that he'd be happier in a in a group home than than here. He'll never have a job, will he? I, no, I don't think so. Dad, on some level, has to make you sad, does it? <laughs> you know, Jason's always. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't 
I think he's, his life is very full. And I, but you, the, the fullness you get from being a parent is really um, – I don't think Felix lacks that. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think he'd want to have children. Um, it's hard enough for him just to move in his own body. Now, I'm not speaking for – I know people with major physical disabilities who have had children, and they've been great parents. So I'm not – this isn't at, at all a, a comment on people with disabilities having kids. Um, it's just – Felix in particular, and who knows? I don't know. He's 15. I, I, I don't, I don't, I have no idea, but I, I, I would be, it would surprise me, but then Felix is always surprising me. How has having a child with disabilities affected your marriage? Um, well, for us, it was, it was absolutely essential that we stayed together because it was so much work. And it, it actually wasn't hard. Um, it brought out the. I think Felix is Felix and Jason have an incredibly strong bond. I mean, Felix preferred Jason. I mean, he probably he still does. <laughs> but I mean, he he was really blunt about his preference for Jason up until he was like thirteen. Where once the two of us went to to visit him, and he was like, "Hi, mom," and basically ignoring his father. But he he and he and Jason have an incredibly strong bond and um and jason it, it just brought out this real deep um humor and, and endurance and and kind of strength in jason that i i'm not gonna say that didn't surprise me but it, it impressed me um he, i don't know what i would have done without jason i mean he was he was the one that, like, when I was dealing with the baby and the toddler, he was the one dealing with Felix all night long. Um, and he, I mean, he, he managed, he probably averaged two to three nights of sleep if I averaged three to four. Or, or yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were, and we, there were times where the, the pressure would get the best of one or, one or the other of us. And then, because we had both of us, if I was about to snap, Jason would be like, go, take a walk. And, and he would, he would, you know, rise to the surface. And it happened both ways. Like there were times where he would, he would yell in a way that was quite scary. <laughs> because he's not a yeller. I'd be like, no, no, you got to get out of here. But, you know, so we, so we, def- we, we, we balance each other out well. But in many marriages, one or one or both of the partners choose to walk away. You didn't. Well, um, no, we were. Yeah, we we had we have. Uh, I mean, I, I think both Jason and I, after the initial shock of um, of the damage that happened to Felix's brain, after that, after we understood it, it wasn't. I mean, it is part of life. It, this, these things happen. It's not like it's. I mean, twenty percent of Americans have a disability of one sort or another. It's not that unusual. It's it's part of life. You you, you deal, and and both of us have that mentality. So it wasn't. It, it, we didn't have a lot of fights. We we had a similar understanding that this is just part of life, and you make the best of it. What about your parents and Jason's parents? 
they've they were they've they were all very um sweet and concerned and uh they they none, none of them live in new york so they um they were i mean we there wasn't a well, I mean, they would all come visit. And actually, my father was wonderful. He would make us um, all of the Thanksgiving dinners and stuff because I couldn't cook. Um, but they they were – we didn't have any – we didn't have any great ruptures in the family about this. It, it, but it was nice, I will say, when I had Miranda and Happy just because both my mother and my, um, Jason's mother, it was just easier to – relate to our you know our parenting experiences we could relate more easily to each other's um so it just it gave us a you know like a a different another strand in the bond as it were uh when it when it, when it was just me looking after felix i think my my experience of parenthood was it seemed so different i'm not sure if it actually is but on the outside it seems so different that i think um, we couldn't really find an easy way to talk about it. What do you think about the words? Because they seem to change every so often. Disabilities, disability, handicapped, yeah. different, differently abled is another one. Yeah. I, I actually I started my book with a discussion of, of that because um, it's, it's, words really set people off. Uh, and... I use the word disability because that's what the disability movement uses and, and the laws that protect people with disabilities use that term. And all of the services that Felix has received, um, you know, just the fact that the doctors didn't look at him and say, oh, you, you can't take care of him, we're going to send him to an institution, all of that is because of the work of disability activists. So that's the term I use. Um, but people, I, th I think what happens is that people with disabilities are disparaged, um, because people who don't see their own disabilities or don't want to, I mean, I, my personal view is that we all have disabilities and that the, the fear that, um, people like Felix plow up in us has to do with the own, our own stuff inside that we're afraid of and maybe it's just that we're afraid we're going to lose our sense of mobility we're afraid we don't always have the right word we're afraid we drool like you know but, or or we actually you know have these things inside us that we're hiding because we want to look like we fit in um and and when you see somebody like felix he can't, he's, he's not hiding anything it's just the mess is all on the outside and um if you're at home kind of with your mess People like Felix aren't aren't scary, um, and I, I. But I think you know a lot of people aren't at home with their mess for all kinds of reasons, and and so they push away people with disabilities, and they and then you know and so then they use words that um, cause pain, uh, or it's um, to, in my understanding of things, it's actually the tone that causes pain because you can hear that pushing away in the tone. Yeah, you can say almost any word in a way that's really sweet and lovely. You can say a sweet and lovely word in a way that's a slap in the face. Um, but, but we can't regulate tone, and we do regulate words. And so I think certain words are associated with insults. 
Um, and inevitably, the words that denote people with disabilities get associated with insults because of this fear um, of, of our own inadequacies. So, uh, I, you know, so the, people use the term people with disabilities today, and I'm sure there will be other terms that get used when this seems like an insult. My, me personally, I, I would like to nominate weird. I like weird. <laughs> I think weird is fun. I've always just, I've identified with weird. But, um, but a lot of people with disabilities don't want that at all. So, you know, what can you do? <laughs> Clearly a sense of humor is really important to you. I think, I think a sense of humor is important. And, and just, I mean, like the basic thing, it, it's respect and it's understanding that people with disabilities are just as human as you are. If you deeply understand that, you're not going to be insulting. I have a question I forgot to ask you about Felix. Yeah. Has Felix's hormones kicked in yet? Oh, my God, yes. He is, he is very manly and gorgeous and deep-toned and, um, yeah. Into girls? He, uh, he's into people. <laughs> he's very tactile. He loves, he loves um, like, rubbing. He loves people with beards. Like, he really loves the feeling of beards. But he also loves women. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go. <laughs> I don't know how, I mean, I'm like, I don't really feel like it's my place to play a role in it. Well, <laughs> but, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> I would imagine on some level, though, you have to worry. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, definitely there's, I, I, I think I worry less about him. I mean, because his, I mean, obviously his, his physical disabilities, I mean, he's in a wheelchair. He can't, he can't really, unfortunately, get up and do much unless he has help. Right. Um, so it's more, you know, like you do worry about physical, I mean, sexual abuse, um, people with disabilities, that's a, that's a real concern. Uh, but I, I, I'm not worried about that where he is just, I mean, we're at that school all the time and we love that school and I mean, bad things can happen anywhere, but that's a school that's, I feel as comfortable there as at, at my house. All right, now we're going to take that commercial, Eliza Factor. We'll be back in just a bit. And we're back into the home stretch with Eliza Factor here on WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon. Her book, Strange Beauty, A Portrait of My Son. Eliza, what do you think of the current climate in Washington for people with disabilities? Uh, It's very grim. And we need to come together. There are wonderful uh, activists. I mean, I think a lot of people have seen the footage of people with disabilities in the in the halls of Congress um, defending the health care and um, and their rights uh, and we just need to keep doing this and and we you know my, my feeling is that we're at a, a place that, that could lead I mean right now everything seems absolutely horrific but um, but out of the mess you know, great coalitions get built and, um, and, and, and perhaps we'll be able to build up something better. What did you think of that campaign ad where Mr. Trump made light of a reporter? Um, my feelings on Trump is that he, he, you know, he grew up, I mean, he doesn't admit to having learning disabilities, but his, his past indicates that he did. And he probably has a lot of shame about that. And, and, and that's a, typical way for people who have shame to, about their own shortcomings, you know, 
you push it out towards others. So that didn't shock me about Trump. I mean, it seems like the kind of thing that he he doesn't seem like a man who's in touch with himself. And, you know, that's how people act. But it was, you know, it's not what you want in a president. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. Our most famous president with disabilities was uh, FDR, who, um, you know, he didn't like to be photographed in a wheelchair at the time the stigma against people with disabilities was greater than it is today and so he he knew that that would um cause certain people not to believe that he could get the job done but he certainly didn't disavow his disability and his um and and did, there were all kinds of legislation um was passed that, that uh, you know I shouldn't say I mean like the the real the great legislation that was passed for people with disabilities wasn't until 1990 but nevertheless FDR's disability in informed his um a lot of his decision making and I feel that um you know the current president hasn't um gone that route very <laughs> diplomatic <laughs> and I'd like to say a thank you to Eliza Factor for the book, Strange Beauty, A Portrait of My Son, as well as for her nonprofit, your nonprofit, Extreme Kids and Crew. Is there a website? Yeah, extremekidsandcrew.org. And uh, you guys are in Philly. Um, if there's any parents there that are interested in starting their own um, project similar to Extreme Kids, you can, you can download um, a do-it-yourself toolkit from our website, uh, it doesn't cost any money. It's just it just just kind of explains um, how, how we started it because uh, I get a lot of letters from parents around the country asking how did you do this, and so I just I just put it all out there, um, and you can get it on the website. And I want to say thank you to Eliza Factor for starting Extreme Kids and Crew for the book Strange Beauty, and for her courage and shining example this morning here on ninety four WIP. Thank you, Eliza. Thank you so much, Peter. It was a great pleasure talking with you. My pleasure. Bye. And you've been listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP. Stay tuned for Sports Talk with Sunny Hill. Your opinion, Sunny's reactions, I know I'll be listening. I want to say happy Mother's Day to all the women out there. You are incredible, and I, we love you dearly. Love your mother, whether you've got her or whether she's gone. Thank you to Phil Jackson, this morning's producer, and Ann Tideman-Solomon, my wife and associate producer. Couldn't do the show without either one of you. Nothing left to say, but see you soon.